You're listening to Informed, informal chats about theological topics to help us know and understand God together. Informed. Informed. Hi everyone, Simeon here. Welcome to Informed. And today I am sat with, across Zoom, Claire Williams, um, who most of you won't have met. Um, Claire's part of our wider church family of family of church families. Um, so you're part of a relational mission church in Kent, aren't you? Yes, that's right. Um, the Vine in Maidstone. Brilliant. Is that where some of us would have done um, lead? Is that where yes. they would have been? Yeah, so some people would have done lead there and you will have had ID base used to be here as well. So okay. if you've done an yeah. ID year in previous years, you might have come to Maidstone. That's your stomping ground. Yeah. And I think we first met at a relational mission theological forum. Yes. Yeah, we did. Um that was a few years ago now, but um, we are both regular attendees of that, aren't we? So, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's something that Dan Hayter organises um, on behalf of RM, where a bunch of us get together normally every year. Didn't happen in yeah. 2020 for obvious reasons. Um, to sort of chew over a particular topic or two that um, it'd yeah, be helpful yeah. for the churches to get to grips with. So give Claire, for those who haven't met you, give us a little picture of what's life like for you um what stage of life you're in what are you up to what fills your time sure um well I am primarily a mother of four boys and a wife to my husband Ben who is a deputy head teacher but also an elder at the Vine um when I'm not engaged in things to do with them I'm studying for a PhD with Durham University um I'm looking at a practical theology um the experiences of women in New Frontiers and talking about how they meet God and how they interact with God and the different things that they do that are unique to them as women. Um, so that's going to be kind of interview based and then lots of theological discussion and around it. Um, but my PhD is also connected to St. Augustine's College of Theology, which is near me. Um, that is an Anglican ordination college. So I'll do a little bit of teaching and research seminars and whatnot there as well. Um, so I'm kind of spread over a couple of different places, which mm. is my benefit really. Yeah. And how long before we get to, uh, how long before we get to read it? Is it a long way, uh, way off that, yet? That is a very good question. <laughs> which I don't know the answer to. I'm technically part-time, but I'm trying to be pacey because I'm not young anymore. <laughs> so I want to keep going. Um, so I think I'm maybe three years out from being done. Okay, cool. Well, sounds like um, an interesting topic. Yes, and I will hopefully be recruiting participants and might come your way to City and see if there's anyone who wants to be interviewed. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, feel free. I, someone I know through King's London, um, King's College London, is doing a master's and I think thinking of looking at something similar experience of women in churches and yeah I offered to put her in touch with some interviewees but she's not yeah. got back to me so I haven't yet pulled that lever right well then I'm gonna stake my claim I think <laughs> and say, Excellent. ask me first <laughs> brilliant um and something I've been doing on these uh, podcasts is um, putting people on the spot and saying, could you tell us in one minute why you're a Christian? Oh, my goodness. I once heard that Tom Wright couldn't answer this question. <laughs> so I feel that I might be in good company. <laughs> yeah, um, but there's so much to say. <laughs> one minute, why I'm a Christian? Because God is really 
still and present in my life and has been since I was tiny. Um, since a relatively lonely child, you know, bookish and prone to not having many friends, my, God was my very real and present friend as a child. Um, and he's never left me or forsaken me. And the more I learn theologically, the greater my love for him and my understanding of his salvation for us, um, his offer, his big yes to humanity. Um, why would you not be a Christian is the question I would push back to you because he is, I am an optimist. I'm an optimist for humanity in that I think that God's presence is real and noticeable and we can experience him um, today. And I mean, that's something I'm thinking about for the PhD, but that's because that's my life experience that God is there in the ups and the downs. And I tried, I went through a kind of, I was at Oxford reading theology and I went through a kind of, hmm, I think I don't believe this anymore moment. Um, but then that didn't, it didn't stick. It couldn't take, I couldn't shake it, you know? Um, so yeah, I think the answer is why would you not? Brilliant. Was it, when, when you went through that moment, was there anything that in particular sort of, you, you just couldn't square with, with an atheistic or a... <laughs> it's a kind of a funny story because it, it perhaps doesn't show me in quite such a wonderful light as I might like to, but I mean, I, I think I just spent a long time diving into a very secular theological um, department at Oxford. Um, I'm surrounded by wonderful people at Wycliffe Hall. I was taught by some amazing Christians but still ever influenced by a kind of literary critical kind of approach to scriptures, uh, a general scepticism, and I just couldn't keep fighting it the whole time. Um, I think I just got tired. Um, so my husband at the time was my fiance, and I said to him, I'm not sure about all this anymore. Would you still marry me if I wasn't a Christian? To which he said, um, mm, I'm not sure. So I thought, well, <laughs> I better think again and quick. <laughs> so there was a bit of a push on that side of things as well. But ultimately, the little girl that had been friends with God couldn't shake him. Mm. And that was atheism couldn't do away with that experiential feeling that God's love was always there. Mm. Uh, so how how can you... I think and think that is why my theology has always come back to well, what about the experience of God? Because that speaks volumes in my life, and as charismatic Christians, speaks volumes to all of us. But there's a bit of articulation that needs to happen mm. um, so that we can explain ourselves theologically. Mm. Oh, wow. Well, thank you for giving us that little window into uh, <laughs> the journey that you've been on to use a terribly well-worn phrase <laughs> there must be better ways to say I love all that. we're all on the journey <laughs> so we had a little email conversation about um this podcast and uh, what we might talk about and um your suggestion uh, which we've which we've gone with is uh divine and human action in grace yes the question kind of stems from our slight New Frontiers sits in a weird category where we are reformed theologically and charismatic in our practices, which puts us in a bit of a bind because reformed theology wants to say that everything starts with God 
Um, and we want to follow Bart, whom I'm sure people have some passing at least awareness of. Um, but if not, don't go and try and read it, find an introduction or ask Matt Fell. Um, and he, Bart says, you know, everything starts with God. We're so utterly fallen. I mean, Bart didn't just say this, Calvin said this. Um, we're so utterly fallen. We're such miserable sinners. We are in our core being broken that we can't reach out for God. You know, we're in a pit. God reaches down to pick us up, not the other way around. Um, all yeah. theology starts with God. All discussion about theology starts with God. And which is, and I think we hold that. We want to say that. We do say that we are miserable sinners saved by grace. Um, but we also then want to say that we're charismatic Christians who believe that the spirit who inspired the early church, who inspired the scriptures, who was there at Pentecost, is the spirit that's with us today, the same spirit. And that therefore, and inspires us with the gifts of the spirit, with the uh, experiences that we would perhaps talk about, you know, prophecy, tongues, name a gift of the spirit, you know, th those ones. And that gives some validity to talking about human experience, which is a challenge when we want to say that we're all very fallen and rubbish. Now, of course, there's that middle ground where now we're saved, maybe something's redeemed in that, but, but human talking theologically about human experience smacks of liberal theology and the way that Schleimacher, do you think people are familiar with him? I haven't heard of Schleimacher for one. So. Let's, let's go with no. He was, I mean, he was a remarkable thinker, really remarkable and ultimately emphasised human experience as the way to talk about theology post like enlightenment rationalism. You know, we're all scientists now. If you can't evidence it with an experiment and a graph, you've got nothing to say. So Schleimacher was like, right, I take your point, you know, rationalism, we want to know about it we want to look at something observe it record it analyze it so let's talk about human experience that's a really good way to think about that and as in that's something we can observe and we can look at that we can talk about human experience we can think about it we can't think about god because you can't record anything about god you can't ask him a question you can't write it up in a graph or a pie chart that's all i know about science graphs of <laughs> um so so Schleimacher, ultimately, we're going in a real whirlwind around 19th century theology here. Schleimacher ultimately said, right, so let's perhaps not talk about that then. Let's talk about the human response and theology can be based on the human response. Along comes Bart and goes, no, we can't do that. The human response is flawed. So we must talk about God only. And when, if we skip ahead then, when we talk about human experience via the Holy Spirit as charismatics, we're in this weird place where we don't want to say we're liberal theologians with Schleimacher. We do want to say that we think we're reformed theologically, but we also want to say that humans who are saved by grace, captured in to God by Christ and have the spirit alive in them and experience the life of the spirit in them, have something to say about their experience. All this shakes down into a slightly muddy who comes for what comes first, chicken and the egg kind of scenario when we talk about theology. So, so then there's some really interesting Pentecostal theologians who try and sort that out. Um, and 
that's what I'm interested in. And that's why, that's why the question is interesting, I think, because we want to say a number of things and we want them to somehow hold together um, without, and then I haven't even got on to talking about like where the Bible appears in all of this, <laughs> as God's revealed word is like the primary revelation. You know, you can't have someone stand at the beginning of church and say, God's told me that there's a new bit to the Bible. Here it is now. I've written it out for you all very helpfully. We don't want to say any of that either. Yet we do say that the spirit speaks to us via the gifts of prophecy. So mm. muddy. So think, things like um, take prophecy, for example, um that's still something that originates with god you could still say that you know in like our salvation it's something which where he makes the first move yeah um yeah so is the tension is the tension there because you're saying um my experience of god speaking prophetically is telling me something about god no the tension is more to do with theologians getting in a knot about where theology starts and having a voice in both camps mm. so and yes so- the get the workaround is pretty straightforward in many ways as long as you start talking about god first mm. and then allow human experience in after mm. so it's a methodological question yes okay yeah um, how, how do we how do we know what God's like, or how do we start to put together our framework of understanding God? Um, yeah, and, and where does our personal experience come into that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so there's Pentecostal theologians who talk who are spending their time writing theological methods, which allow for the work of the Spirit, mm-hmm. um, which perhaps hasn't been quite explored enough in previous you know attempts okay because every, everything we know about god we know because he's revealed it to us one way or another yeah yeah so yeah exactly but we want to say really that that is the bible first don't we mm. um as the ultimate and highest authority of god's revelation of himself well that points to christ with that yeah. <laughs> forgive me um but the bible without kind of worshiping the bible is our backstop it's our point of no we can't move from the bible but we do still want to we start to then get into even muddier waters about like interpretive communities and who's Mm. who's explaining what the bible is and who how do we manage it in churches and how do we understand what it says because it isn't always that straightforward and so on and so forth so yeah so how do you think about that in practice you 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 as a christian you're coming to you're wanting to understand god you've got his revelation to you in the bible and you've got a whole truckload of experiences to go alongside that um the experiences can feel more real and tangible than the words on the page yeah especially stuck in the middle of one of the really difficult psalms or leviticus or something like that you know God finding you a parking space outside Tesco's does feel more real than Levitical law. It's hard to argue against that. Mm. So what you meant to do is a good question. Yeah. Um, to which I think the answer is, um, it is still to come back to scripture every time, but to reflect on scripture and to... Uh, hard to know how to say this without 
sounding flippant or clumsy, but to think about, to bring your experience to scripture in a way that scripture still is the final say, but that we use our lives as our charism, like our testimony. You know, we would stand up at the front of church and we would hand someone a microphone and say, tell me your story. Our lives are our testimony. And if we can bring them into conversation with scripture all the time, perhaps we, perhaps as a way through, I haven't thought it out mm. enough. Like, you know, this is, this is really, this is really hard, I think. Scripture is tough to work with. We love it. We we think it's wonderful. It's God's revelation. It's it's the inspired word of God. But it's it can be hard. You know, there's no getting mm. around it. And there's no, there's no getting around the fact that sorry, say that again. We have biblical studies departments. If the thing was straightforward, you know, it requires <laughs> work. <laughs> exactly, exactly. There's no getting around the fact that it, it it's not that it, it takes some work to understand it and understand its implications for us and. Yeah. There are times when different people in different communities come to different conclusions. And that just demonstrates that it, it's not as simple as saying, well, the Bible says X. End yeah. of story. No, absolutely not. But where we hold that the spirit is alive in us, his work in our lives should help our interpretation, should be the driving force of our interpretation. Which means it's going to be constantly revisiting because we're still, the human element in this whole equation is still flawed. So we need to be constantly looking back and checking what we're thinking and checking how we're accessing the word and checking what we say about it and where we're getting our ideas from and the latest website or podcast or whatever that we're engaging with, you know, where is all this information coming from? This is the human element that mm. can potentially not get it right. Yeah, I imagine some of us kind of start from a start from a, a a default position of quite a kind of rationalistic approach, and okay, I will I will apply these tools to the Bible, and I will come to these conclusions, and that's what I will believe. Yeah, and yeah. and we probably I include myself in that category, and <laughs> you know, there's we need to kind of go beyond that to to. Um, to seeing the bible as as part of our relationship with god um yeah. and there'll be other people who are coming from the other end of the spectrum and and sort of in the worst case scenario kind of free floating around with nothing to anchor themselves to yeah and i absolutely don't want to say that i don't want myself to be misunderstood misinterpreted and that mm. be where i sound like i'm coming from um i mean i think this is where we've got a lot to learn from other church traditions there's lots of different ways of approaching scripture and where we because we value scripture so highly we feel like we want to throw our best thinking at it and our default is to be rationalistic and bring a mm. toolkit like you say but actually the church has engaged with the bible for a really long time and you know it's not new um, and the way to man to think about it isn't new and there are some really interesting methods out there that can help us I think especially if they're carefully applied and you know to throw it out there as a challenge I think it'd be really interesting to look at some of the models like Lectio Divina from the Benedictine tradition um, Ignatian ideas about um, reflecting you know imaginative practices you, you you put yourself in this bible story you imagine you know you read the passage you imagine 
yourself there what would we be like to sit at the feet of Christ what would where what are the smells what are the sounds what are the the uh, you know what are the things happening around you as you picture the story you're not tearing it apart you're not discrediting it you're just engaging with it in a really different way which I think is when it's added to a different added to what we already do is enriching mm. and that's where the idea of human action in my question comes in what is it that we're doing because we believe we can do something to like experience God well things like that maybe are interesting maybe they're helpful um and and stuff like the things in the Benedictine tradition do really open up, up different ideas and different ways of approaching God um, with, you know, I think really challenging and interesting um, mm. ideas in them, especially in our lockdown days, you know, yeah. being confined into a house is not to Benedict a bad thing. <laughs> he would advocate it. <laughs> and, and so, you know, again, the church has done this before. We've got things we can learn um, yeah. about our side of the human divine action bit. Mm. And I think something you said almost in passing there was about kind of adding these ways of engaging with scripture to what we're already doing. Yeah. So yeah. rather than sort of becoming theologically rootless. Yes, um, yes absolutely. Yeah, so I'm not yeah. suggesting that we abandon the idea that the Bible can direct our lives in a definitive way um, mm. to it just go for like meditative kind of explorations of how I feel when I read the Bible. You know, I'm saying, yeah. no, let's say the Bible is true and authoritative and, and, and directs me explicitly when we understand it. But let's also use it in other ways as well. Mm. I think that can be really impactful and sometimes we miss that and you know the Benedictine nuns I know know a lot more about the Bible than I do you know and they're not they don't they hold it in absolutely the highest regard yeah you know, it is everything to them they read it seven times a day I don't <laughs> you know so the traditions outside yeah. of our own have something to say to us to challenge us mm. and do you think that's part of it sounds like you think that's part of God's intention for scripture, uh, what scripture is. Yeah, because they, they live and breathe it, you know. But mm. For example, Benedict's Rule, if you were to read it and pick it up, is a tiny little book. In fact, it's not in here, I can't show you. Um, about 50% of it is actually lifted straight from the Bible. Mm. So what he did was formed a rule, because Benedict's a funny one. He he decided that God was calling him to be a solitary, so he ran out into the desert, as was the fashion, and um, lived in a cave and worshipped God all day. But then the problem was everyone followed him out into the desert, so where it's like having toddlers. You try and go over there, all come along come the toddlers. You, you go over there, so along come the toddlers, you know, and Benedict was the same. He tried to go out on his own because he just wanted to talk to God and everyone came and asked him how to do it. So in the end, he gave up and formed a community of people mm. and wrote a rule. And his rule was entirely formed from the Bible. So what I'm saying is the Bible is instructive for our daily life in a, in a very real way. And yeah. we're not the first ones to think this. Um, yeah. so what I'm saying is I think that there are lessons in tradition that help us make use of the Bible in a fuller way or the, to the fullest extent that we can in this life. Um, so a very, very serious view of scripture, not in any way light. 
Mm. Mm. But scripture as a um, as a means of grace that goes beyond information to a way of encountering yes. God. Yes. yes, absolutely. That's you've nailed it. Um, we're so inclined, aren't we, to treat it like uh, a textbook. I can remember once being asked to come and talk to the children's group about dinosaurs. Everyone was in a knot about dinosaurs. What on earth were we going to do? No one, no one on the children's team at the time felt they could deal with the issue of dinosaurs because, you know, nine-year-old boys, they like dinosaurs and the Bible doesn't, you know, helpfully mention them. And I remember thinking this is really difficult because it's really difficult to ask the question of the Bible, what do you think about dinosaurs? Because it wasn't seeking to answer that question. Yeah. And ultimately I said, I think I probably annoyed them tremendously. I said, this is what I can tell you about creation that the Bible tells me. And I said, you know, it tells me that God is good. It tells me God is powerful. It tells me that God created. It tells me a bunch of other things. It doesn't tell me about dinosaurs. We could think about the Leviathan if you like, but ultimately it hasn't said anything. And I guess this whole thing turns around and, and says, stop treating the scriptures like it's a textbook to answer questions of modernity because it's not done that mm. sometimes we can tease out answers i'm not saying that we can't but we can't always whereas if we use it to orientate our entire lives as a story that we participate in we'll get something really rich from it and that is absolutely in keeping with our the new frontiers view of eschatology you know there's the whole thing fits beautifully we we believe that god has a plan and a story and we're part of it some of that story is already written down yeah and some of it's yet to come yeah and the, and the story that's written down the the text we have in the bible they quite a few of them are dealing with concrete things in their time aren't they yes yeah they're not they're not all meditative mystical texts no, but so, they're on but they're not answering our questions necessarily no. about dinosaurs no quite and i you know you like i am sure have pressing dinosaur related questions <laughs> you know, perhaps you can find someone else on a podcast that can answer those but yes it's never just one thing or the other and i guess all i'm suggesting is as part of the blessing of believing that the spirit works in our lives today is that there are ways we can do other things as well as try to approach the entire faith rationalistically mm. um so what would you say to someone who um I was going to play the Cambridge stereotype card, but I'm not going to because visiting speakers come to Cambridge and they they have this they yeah. have this stereotype in their head and it's just not true. So, um, so. <laughs> yes, I can imagine they do. <laughs> um, but anyway, th there might be one or two of us in the church who would would lean towards a, a rationalistic, um, uh, you know, very very thinky approach to our faith. What would you say to us to kind of say hey here's a thing you could try go go and do this tomorrow morning before breakfast it's really interesting um i mean one of the things i would suggest is that they read james smith uh because if you want to be thinky why don't you think about how you do things so i don't know whether your podcast will be visual or not no but, um, so james smith has written desiring the kingdom mm -hmm. and it talks about um how 
although we all think we're thinky, we're actually a lot more feely than anything else. And we yeah. feel before we think and we desire before we think. So ultimately Christian formation is about orientating those desires. So I would say to them, start praying the hours, go and download the Church of England's daily prayer app, for example, mm. and pray morning and evening prayer or go and find a hours book. Maybe you could use a Benedictine one, for example, and orientate your life to prayer by structuring it. Because as we are inclined to think that structure equals lack of Holy Spirit. In fact, that was one of the things I actually wrote down I wanted to say. Um, I, I just don't think that's true. Mm. And I think I would challenge people to find God in a structure. Mm and see what how that is because that takes their brain out of it and makes it operative in the same way that I get up in the same way every morning when my husband thrusts a coffee at me and says I'm leaving now my routine from then on is pretty predictable because I do yeah. the same thing every morning and it does involve like shouting at people about wearing their socks and but it's the same conversation with the same children every day I'm very routine as are they they forget their socks so I yell at them about it but you know, so when we feed God into our routine, mm. somehow our orientation shifts. And that is, again, not instead of everything we do, but as well as to change our desires and our precognitive actions to something that turns us to God, rather than having to sit and think about God in order to do something, we take it step down and and insert god if you like into our existence before the thinking stage mm. some of that practice some of that routine that regularization does that yeah so when you think meaning like if you sit down with a family to eat and the children chant off their um lunchtime prayer that they pray at school thank you god for food we eat thank you or you know whatever it sounds like amen and you think oh that's meaningless maybe it isn't mm. maybe it's worth saying that isn't meaningless maybe that's so ingrained in them that they don't eat until they thank god that it's really meaningful mm. instead mm. that's forming something yes yeah. yeah and the family analogy is interesting isn't it because the the getting your the socks on your boys and so on that that that's routine it's the same every day but it's 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 a relationship it's full of life it's yes, it is and he ultimately as much as it seems slightly combative they know that i want them to be warm yeah. <laughs> you know they know that my ultimate desire that smith would call a desire is for the my children's good so they mm. go out into the world knowing that at least one person as they're good and they that creates them you know if we are what we eat we are also what we feed ourselves in every other way as well mm. and something about all that daily interaction with children grows them up into what they are we know that from psychology and freud and everyone who's come since him that we're formed by the ideas but also by influences and so we should be conscious about what our influences are not just what books we're reading or what things we think about when we sit and try and think about them, 
but all the other little bits. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, if you'll forgive me, I can explain what Smith says about that. Mm. Um, and some of you might be familiar with this. It's, he talks about the analogy of the shopping mall, which of course is the American version of the shopping center. But what he describes sounds very like blue water in Kent. Some, okay. people, some people might have been to the shopping centre called Blue Water in Kent. It's massive, it's sprawling, it's beautiful, it's like a cathedral. Yeah. And he says, you know, these shopping centres are like cathedrals to the god of consumerism. You walk in, you've got acolytes helping you by giving, letting you take your offerings up to the till and exchange your offerings for blessings. You've got, you know, flags that point you to start with with to go in you go into the big atrium which is full of beauty and wonder you know blue water's like this it's got a ceiling sky high it's got light it's airy it's visually very appealing and it's it's showing you the good life mm. everywhere you look you're at these designer brands all the beautiful people all the wonderful things you might like to buy to make your life better it's feeding our desires and he says that shopping centers are like religion mm. even when people don't realize it and so every time we go into one we're kind of forming ourselves into that idea of what a good life is he says christians should be trying to counterform themselves what's a good life what's a christian good life well it's a sort of eschatological vision of god for us now and in the future well what can we do to form ourselves to direct our desires and our orientation. Well, you know, that's not to say that we must all eschew blue water because that would be a sad day, but we could do other things that direct ourselves, direct our vision, raise our gaze, if you like. Mm. And that takes some kind of actual action, some kind of physical doing of something rather than thinking, rather than even potentially reading, although reading it's, you know, we're inclined to read the bible read books about the bible read like books that people have written about christian life and the act of putting time aside and reading a book is formative but i think we've got to do a bit more a bit mm. more stuff do stuff that does stuff as andrew wilson would say i was about to quote him yeah yeah <laughs> and does he he says that in regard to sacraments doesn't he he does yeah yeah and sacraments are a distinct and unique and special class of action but that doesn't mean that other actions have no meaning. Yeah. So we yeah, need to think about the meanings of our actions. I don't think he would deny that either. I know he's read Smith too. Um, mm. So sacraments have a particular thing and that's a whole other podcast. But, you know, the fact, the very fact that we still think sacraments are important, unlike some other non-conformist traditions, mm. shows that we think what we do is important, that actions have meaning. Yeah. So, so what other actions can we do? Mm. And uh, listening to you talk, so it strikes me that we, I've got half a thought, which I think is about coalesced into a coherent thought. That very, very effective. <laughs> we, we might, you know, as, as a family of churches, we might be in danger of, of missing all of this spiritual formation type stuff. Because on the one hand, um, we've got kind of a reformed thinky heritage, which yes. makes us might make some of us sort of too too rationalistic purely rationalistic in our approach yeah, and on the other hand as charismatics we might be a bit afraid of structure i think that's exactly be... it 
Uh, yeah, and if my PhD and my thinking can do one thing, it was to bring some of that stuff into a middle place. Mm. Because I think, I mean, I've noticed it at the Vine and at other charismatic events. We tend to think if we plan something, that somehow gets in the way of the Holy Spirit. Mm. I don't know whether Cambridge experiences this, but, you know, there's often, we often will say things like, you know, I just want the Holy Spirit to turn up. I just want that to happen. So I've, I've not written anything down. We're going to just see what happens. As if somehow, had I written something down, had I planned a service down to the minute, my interaction in that scenario stops the Holy Spirit from being there. And what I want to say is, no, this is the spirit that was at Pentecost. This was a spirit that was at the beginning of creation, you know, and we believe that he's with us now, you know, helping us speak in tongues of other languages, helping us lay hands on people and heal people. He can be involved in our planning. There's not some way that we, there's got to be a more positive engagement with what we do that doesn't somehow effectively say that we think that we get in the way mm. i just don't think we do i think actually it's better than that our brains can get in the way and our you know an overly liturgical way of being could get in the way but they don't necessarily have to there's no theological reason why they should yeah and so i think you could easily be i mean and in fact it does exist you can be a catholic charismatic you know, mm. if we chuck out some of the other theological questions and, and bench those for a minute, these people, people who are Catholic charismatics are very ritualized, but yet experience the spirit. Mm. I don't think there's a theological reason why that shouldn't be the case. I think mm. we just we're suspicious of it. Yeah. Yeah. When you read what what we do see in, say, one Corinthians about various gifts of the spirit, you get hints of kind of spontaneity being in the mix, but I don't see spontaneity being the front and centre litmus no. test. No, and actually Paul seems to, if you think about his what he's saying in 1 Corinthians about um, the drama going on there, mm. with, like the Lord's Supper, that actually the, the lack of planning and structure is causing them, in fact, that's one way to read it, isn't it? That it's absolute chaos mm. and that no one sat down and thought this through. And mm. that means that, all kinds of prejudices and human instincts are are just kind of rising up and getting in the way. So the spontaneity is the problem almost because mm. it allows us to act on instincts that we should have thought through and then planned out and said, we can do something different here. So the whole mixture of thinking and doing and ordering and structure needs a big old rethink, I think. Mm. And at the risk of kind of a, a hugely... Um, oversimplistic blanket statement I guess a lot of people who were involved in starting and forming New Frontiers as a movement and a family of churches had had experiences of churches where structure had been a bad thing yes and I don't find that experience I'd be a terrible practical theologian if I said yeah. no your understanding there is is wrong I think we're on a we're on a journey. <laughs> oh, we're on a journey. I think you know we've we've got rid of some of the rubbish that that was causing problems, but that doesn't mean that we should throw the baby out with the bathwater. Mm. If we've rediscovered how the spirit can act in our lives, and if we make that priority, we can add some stuff back in. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Shout yeah. out for Spirit and Sacrament by Andrew Wilson. Well, I suppose so. Right until I've written my own book, yeah, you could read yeah. that. Yeah, as a stopgap. 
yeah 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 just tied you over you know <laughs> oh I hope he doesn't listen to this <laughs> um we should we should think about wrapping up I yeah, guess yeah. um all of what we're saying about the fact that there are thing there are things we can do to kind of spiritually form ourselves and encounter God and so on um and and the fact that he does want to encounter us in a way that's not just here here's a book of instructions off you go Hmm. um that says something theologically about God and his creation doesn't it yeah it does and I mean ultimately it's optimistic ultimately says that creation is still good and I haven't thought this quite through because I don't know where that ends because I still think we are fallen Hmm. so there's got to be some way that we can talk about there being the possibility of good in a fallen world because Christ has redeemed us and yeah. because the spirit is active in our lives. And there might be as simple as that. In, inaugurated, inaugurated new creation. Yeah, yeah. And that new creation has started Yeah. already. It's just not complete yet. Yeah. But as long as we always start with God theologically and we don't start with human endeavour, I think we sidestep that problem. I think you could let us know when you've um yeah dotted all the i's and crossed all the t's <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah that that might not be this side of the fully realized new creation no no i mean i, I don't want to be an over-realized eschatology either you know <laughs> my phd would be good but it won't be that good <laughs> <laughs> excellent well on that bombshell yes <laughs> Thank I you so much. Now, before I dig myself a bigger hole. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you so much for giving us a, a slice of your afternoon. Thank you. And um, uh, yeah, look forward to um, crossing paths with you again um, yes. at some point in relational mission. Maybe yes. we'll get to an in-person my recruiting participants. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And perhaps we'll get an in-person theological forum next. Oh yes, that would be marvelous. That really would. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Thanks for listening, guys. It's goodbye from me and goodbye.